You are listening to the Ivy Podcast. Learn from the thought leaders in areas of strategy, innovation, negotiation, and all things leadership. We interview the Ivy League, Fortune 100, and top startups. Now, here's your host, John Karsibayev. On this episode, I welcome Magnus McDermott, Senior Vice President, Mobility Group of Panasonic. After joining Panasonic Canada in 1996 in the sales management role, Magnus has grown within Panasonic and has held various roles within the Retail Systems Group, Computer and Communications, before taking on the role of General Manager of the Computer and AV Solutions Group in 2010. In his current position, Magnus oversees sales and operations for the U.S. Toughbook mobility business, where he focuses on delivering high-performance technology to help businesses work smarter and efficiently. Originally from Scotland, Magnus completed his education at Dundee University and moved to Canada with his family in 1989. Welcome to the Ivy Podcast. Magnus, if you don't mind, can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, we all know about Panasonic in general, uh, but as far as the mobility division that you head up, what does that entail? What is that, you know, from functional standpoint, what are different areas that fall under mobility division and what is your role within that organization? Yeah, um, so I, I head the, mo- the mobility uh, business unit uh, within Panasonic North America and uh, we manufacture, uh, distribute uh, ruggedized computer products. Um, so a kind of specialized niche market within uh, IT devices. Uh, about 25 years old now as a brand uh, and we kind of created a ruggedized category within computers. So if you think of you know, police cars, ambulance, uh, fire, uh, places like that. The IT devices that go into those vehicles uh, tend to have slightly different requirements than, you know, a, you know, a laptop you would use at home. They have to be able to sustain, you know, vibration, heat, dust, um, all sorts of, of different things have to be taken in and out of vehicles. They can be dropped. They're used outdoor in the rain, sunlight. So we have, uh, for many years now, uh, built and manufactured specialized devices uh, for that. So my role as, as the head of that business head is, uh, you know, I have sales and marketing responsibility uh, across the country. Um, we also have product marketing engineering groups, uh, as well as uh, technical support and services organization, as well as uh, professional services and you know, an ecosystem of kind of solutions of, that we build around devices being software partnerships, uh, third-party, you know, accessories, third-party software. So really trying to bring, you know, more solutions type uh, requirements to, to customers as, the, as, the, as they need them. <laughs> Very interesting. And thank you for providing that a uh, little more insight on on the mobility division, what it's all about. Um, sounds like a lot of very cool products and services that you guys are building. I try not to cover too much COVID-related <laughs> topics on, on the Ivy podcast, mainly it's just, it's just sure. been too much of that. But I do have one question for you from, from that executive standpoint, um, especially during these times, very unprecedented. What practical recommendations can you provide to other executives who we have a lot of listeners, good portion of the Ivy podcast are other executives? So like most companies, we've you know done a lot of communication out to customer sets and the market. From a, an internal point of view, I mean, I think 
what we also have to recognize is it's been a very unsettling time for many of our internal employees. Uh, there's lots of talk of unemployment and furloughs and job reductions. And, you know, so we have a mixture of sort of office-based employees and then employees who are normally home-based tend to be, you know, sales or product engineering types. But they're typically out engaging with customers and then sort of being locked into their home. Um, a consistent stream of communication has been, uh, I think, well received by our employees. And what I've tried to do is, you know, we have to do our corporate pitch, which I, I get, uh, and that, those are important so everybody understands where we are as a corporation. But internally, I've been trying to, you know, make it a little bit more human uh, for my employees, you know, sharing my own experience. I haven't worked from home before. Um, so I've been doing sort of regular communications either online um, or through, you know, email communication, just, you know, talking about the state of our business, where we are, uh, potential opportunities. As we're a supplier to a lot of essential services, our particular business within mobility has, uh, has been reasonably uh, substantial through this period. Um, but, you know, other businesses, you know, within Panasonic, are having some struggles but you know I just wanted to share things like where the business is and also you know talk about you know life at home uh, my wife doing Zumba in the living room which is an unusual thing for me to be doing <laughs> you know the dog barking in the middle of a call you know all, all these things and I think you know my I've, I've just tried to communicate on that level and I've had, I've had actually some great feedback that people you know they kind of they don't feel abandoned out there and uh, they, they appreciate hearing from you know, maybe from leadership levels that they don't typically hear those types of things. And I think that's worked well with me. So I, I think a lot of empathy and uh, just regular communication is what you need to do internally. For customers, it's more reassurance about where we are in the business. Uh, you know, we deal with a lot of police and, and frontline workers within, you know, who are dealing with COVID every day and just reassuring them that we're in business and what we can do, what the capabilities we, we still have and that we're still there to support them. So it, it's a sort of combination of that corporate piece coupled with a little bit of personal insight as well. Great. Thank you for providing some of these recommendations and I can relate to some of them, especially, you know, the, the empathy part on a lot of executives. It's, you know, at the end of the day, it is, it is totally okay that if your children are in the background or dog barking during a conference call, it's, you know, everyone's in those times. So it's, I think, adding the human element to that. Uh, I'm pretty sure that helps a lot of the internal communications. Um, yeah, I think we're getting to that now, so. Yeah. Um, as a 100-year-old company, Panasonic's philosophy has always been centered around creating that efficiency where value is created. Otherwise known as the Jimbo process innovation, if I'm pronouncing that right. Can you tell us a little bit more about this concept and how can other organizations actually can benefit from that? Sure. Um, so it's Gemba, actually. Uh, it's, it's a Japanese word. Um, Got it. And, and what, it, what it essentially, Gemba is, in a literal translation, is the place where work happens. So that, you know, that's a little bit abstract, but if you think about it, if your job is working in a warehouse packing boxes, your Gemba is the point where you pack that box. If you're doing data entry, it's sitting at your keyboard. So it's, it's a fairly 
um, commonly used expression in Japan is relatively uh, unknown for us here in, say, North America. Uh, but what the whole philosophy is to really get down to where the work, uh, where the operations for a customer happens, really analyze what uh, their requirements are, and then try and build technology to, to streamline that. Um, the mobility business, I think, from a hardware point of view, was a, was a classic example of that. Uh, 1996, we started this brand really because customers at that time, for the first time, wanted to put software applications with their mobile workers in vehicles. And so they had come up with the applications and the software and then you know, had bought regular type devices, put them in vehicles, and they all failed. So you know, Panasonic looked at that and then specifically designed hardware that would meet those requirements so the customer could deliver those applications to their, to their workers. So in many ways, it's a very good example of from a hardware point of view, uh, you know, as we've moved on, we're now looking at think more things like you know automation in warehousing, um, distracted driving type solutions for people in vehicles. So more um, software uh, and more services around it, but really to focus on on really right down to the person who's engaged uh, with the work at their level. Great. Very interesting concept, and you know, thank you for providing more information on that. Um, to take that a little bit further, as we talk about some of the kind of advanced technologies, such as RPA, AI, machine learning, and so forth, mm -hmm. you know, they're reinventing you know a lot of industries, technology, whatever, whatever that may be. Sure. How do you think that these trends or these these technologies will impact your industry from innovation standpoint? And what are your thoughts on best strategies to adopt such technologies? I mean, we deal with a number of different types of, of industry, and I think it affects all a little bit differently. I mean, if you look at, say, public safety, for example, um, there's a lot of work being done around predictive analytics, for example, to, to improve situational awareness of, of officers as as uh, you know, resources are always constrained. You know, can you predict um, where crimes will happen for police agencies, and then they can they can uh, deploy resources around that? Um, can you get information to them in the cars faster, so when they arrive at you know a potential scene, that they already already know there's been you know four previous complaints, there's a gun owner in the building, there's been you know, three you know, domestic violence issues. Um, and how we get to them is as fast as possible while they're driving a car at high speed usually. So they, these are the types of technology from that aspect. And then I look at things like logistics and supply chain and warehousing where we do a lot of work. And you know, e-commerce, COVID-19 has, has proved nothing else. E-commerce just continues to grow and grow and grow. And so any way to work with those customers to help automate, uh, process, um, be it from just as simple as, as putting packages down a line a little quicker than they can do now, right to autonomous uh, vehicles, whether they're actually inside a warehouse, like robotic type uh, devices, or into the vehicles themselves. And Panasonic is playing in all of those markets, not necessarily within my group, but we're a very diverse organization. So, you know, our role, 
you know, back to that Gemba concept is to really analyze what they do right at that level and then help them uh, meet their goals uh, to streamline, make it cost less, and, and automate it so it's, so it's faster and more effective for them. And on top of that, through, through the use of, or, you know, practical, I guess, use cases of leveraging these technologies, I'm sure you guys doing, you know, continuous research in terms of what are the next trends, what are the next, you know, best ways to do things or next, yeah. next technologies. Curious, from your standpoint, what do you think, what trends will emerge as a result of these COVID times when it comes to mobility specifically? Again, I think it'll it'll vary on on the industry. I mean, if you look at let's say retail restaurant sector, for example, I, you know everybody's trying to reopen uh, that sector, but I, I think it's really going to change uh, the engagement model. I think smaller, more handheld type devices, less um, you know fixed devices. I, I think a lot more applications will be written around you know curbside pickup and, and delivery, and I think that trend will actually continue even after restaurants open. Um, I think logistics, supply chain, and delivery uh, are again a segment that are going to just continue to grow. I think what COVID will, will do essentially, um, like, the, like the office environment, we've all been working at home for you know, maybe two or three months, is the realization that a lot can happen. There is a lot of technology that already exists or close to existing. That means that we don't necessarily have to go back to what was normal three, four months ago, the, the new normal or the next normal, as everybody talks about. I, I think you'll see a significant change in workplace. Uh, I don't think everybody's going to rush back to that corporate building, so I think you'll see more remote technology. And I think that will be reflected um, in the corporate enterprise space. And I think uh, in the logistics supply chain space, it's, it's really just going to be as make it faster, cheaper, and more automated so those, uh, so those you know, increase in online shopping uh, is supported by their infrastructure, as well as, you know, food delivery as well, I, I think is going to be a significantly big trend. Um, I was speaking to a local restaurant owner. He's not allowed to open, but I, I go there quite a bit. And he's actually done quite well during this. He, he went early on the curbside, uh, curbside pickup and delivery. And he is going to continue that. Um, because he thinks he can add 30 or 40% more people on a Saturday night if he opens his operation up to that. So I think you're going to see some, some, some changes in just the way many businesses operate. Um, I don't have all the answers to that yet, but it's, it's going to be quite interesting to see what happens. Right, 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 right. absolutely. Um, and while we're talking about the different trends and innovation um, techniques, on top of the Gemba process innovation, I'm curious, when it comes to innovation, especially during these current times, um, what strategies and methodologies do you deploy that help you consistently come up with innovative ways to solve certain problems uh, for marketing the products or services for Panasonic or whether that's coming up with additional new products? I'm curious, how does that process work, especially these days when so much focus is on you know, motivation and keeping the performance levels up and, you know, kind of going through that Maslow's hierarchy of needs where everyone is kind of that, I don't want to say survival mode, but basically kind of how do we keep the lights on, yet we do have to come up with innovation ways, innovative ways to, to expand our portfolios. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, any any type of adversity or chaos can also lead to opportunities. I mean, our, our process is, you know, from a from the Gimba point of view, we hire specialized people for for specialized. So we have you know specialized resources in public safety and in supply chain and uh, and uh, federal government uh, space, space as well. So we hire specialists typically from that industry. They're not, they're not necessarily from a you know a manufacturer. Uh, they may have worked in a police department, and th their their role is to really work with the end use customers, with the customer in their particular segment, identify trends, identify future needs, um, and then bring that back. And then we have a dedicated solutions team uh, in terms of, and that consists of sort of product people, engineering folks, uh, as well as you know all the stuff you need: the sports staff, finance, uh, legal. Uh, and they work together with a, you know, Panasonic is very heavy in engineering resources, uh, both here locally and, and over in Japan. And so they sort of feed these uh, business cases or into that into that process, and then ultimately we make the decision whether we want to build something uh, ourselves, whether we want to find a partner uh, to help us with that, uh, whether we want to make an investment uh, in something. Uh, or whether we will build it completely from scratch. So that's that's sort of the, the process. So it's a continual engagement, uh, understanding that the customer's environment is, is always fluid, and there's always new things happening. And if we can get just a little bit, if we can get stay close to that customer through our sort of Gemba uh, philosophy, um, we will be close to what's required. And then we have enough technical and, and physical resources to make that happen after that. And as we as we talk through some of these, you know, topics around these times, um, where you've mentioned that you know, obviously, a lot of other companies are going through you know the hard times and downsizing, the furloughs or the layoffs. Um, when it comes to kind of that executive leadership, and what what worked well for you when it comes to employee motivation? Um, and keeping them focused and, you know, the, maintaining their performance levels up. I'm just curious, how do you deal with that on, you know, on a daily basis as you, as you lead your enterprise division? Yeah, so, I mean, really depending. And so, I mean, if you're part of our employee group and you're dealing with public safety agencies, you're, you're really quite busy at the minute. If you're doing healthcare, you're really quite busy. If you're Customer set is uh, rental, car rental companies and cruise ships. You're you're really struggling. So, I mean, I, I think a combination of, of different things. One is uh, you know a, a recognition of the reality of the business. Um, maybe making some some concessions to people who are in sectors that are uh, struggling. Um, you know, we want to be seen as a as a company you, you would join and, and stay with and, and build your career with. So, you know, we're always fair and upfront and honest with our employees. So if you're working in those sectors and there really is no business, we will we will support you. I mean, clearly we may have to make some cost, you know, day-to-day -day cost reductions. However, with COVID, things like travel, entertainment, all these usual business expenses are, are being significantly reduced anyway. Um, so I think it's a, a combination of some practical measures uh, as well as, you know, being upfront and honest with uh, the, the team about where we are and then just communicating, uh, in our case, some, some wins, 
because we're involved with so much of the public safety segment that our demand has actually been really quite high for a lot of our products. Uh, to be honest, our struggle has been more component supply coming out of countries like China and, and uh, Philippines and Malaysia where um, you know, really from January they had uh, manufacturing constraints. So uh, it's, it's a bit of a different message depending on where you are. Other parts of Panasonic have uh, had significant issues. I mean, we have a huge avionics business. Uh, in-flight entertainment systems and clearly the airline industry has has had some problems. Um, we do a lot of business with uh, automotive and in-car uh, systems and you know a lot of auto manufacturing was was closed down as well. So it's you know with so many different companies I think just a consistent message, uh, a fair approach. I think Panasonic has done a pretty decent job across all the businesses uh, sending a consistent message and, and regular communication to employees. But it's, it's, it's challenging, there's no doubt. It, it's challenging. And, uh, you know, employees do, you know, do feel stressed by this and uh, worry about the future. And, uh, you know, Panasonic is 100 years old, uh, started in Japan, you know, have, has survived a number of difficult, challenging times over the years, you know, from the, from the Second World War to you know, economic depressions and the various other things. So we're a company that, you know, takes a little bit of pride in that we will come out of this probably looking a little bit different, but hopefully stronger. And we hope that our employees recognize that and stay with us during this. <laughs> right, right, right. Absolutely. And it sounds like, you know, for a company of the hundred year old history, mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty sure there's, you know, very solid and well-established culture and values that are in place that help, you know, especially through times like this. And I think it's very important for, you know, a lot of other up and coming organizations to really, you know, define that and try to stick to those principles as, you know, we go through the good times or the bad and so forth. Yeah, I mean, Panasonic, the, the founder of the company, Mr. Matt Schuster, you know, he, he published kind of seven core principles for the business a long time ago. And, you know, they, they, you know, if you read them today, they're, they're just as, as relevant today. Obviously, business changes, but, you know, it's around about, you know, con contribution to society and, and, and various other things that are, frankly, they're, they're timeless in terms of core, um, you know, core responsibilities of a company uh, and well as core values for employees. So, yes, I think you're absolutely correct if, if you're starting a new business, uh, be clear on, on what it is you, you define yourself as a business. Mm -hmm. Right, right, absolutely. And correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the brand Panasonic itself means, I guess, pan is all and sonic is something around sound or audio. Is that more or less accurate? You know, it's, it's quite interesting. When I, I joined the company in 1996, and we were actually called Matschusta Electric. That was officially the name of the company. Really? Wow. And um, it only changed in early 2000s, but under that we had several other brands. So there was uh, JVC was a was a partial brand, National was a brand, Techniques was a brand, Panasonic was a brand, Quasar was a brand. But over time, the Panasonic name became the predominant brand, and it was really everybody referred to us as Panasonic, even though we had some different sub brands. And then. Um, I can't remember the year, maybe 20 years ago, we actually officially changed the name. Um, now, the story I always heard, and I could be wrong, is when they, 
when the company first decided to open up in the 1960s, um, they opened an office in New York in the Pan Am building, and the first device they had was an audio device. So the name Panasonic came around, and I have no idea if that's true, but it's a good ur urban myth if it's not. So Interesting, and thank you for that little history lesson on, on Panasonic. Um, you've briefly touched upon hiring for Panasonic. For <laughs> for us, I, I head up the ProSource IT is the organization that I that I'm part of. Our core solution offering is around IT staffing and very niche advanced technology specialists and so forth. Uh, working with different companies, Fortune 500, and, and different small startups as well. And I always like to ask on the podcast, the executives, to describe kind of what does the interview process look like if someone is, you know, going through that with Panasonic. And I'm curious for the, when you interview your candidates, do you get creative mm -hmm. with your interviews or you try to keep them pretty, pretty traditional? Can you give us a little bit of a glimpse into um, that process? I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, probably our process is, is fairly traditional. Uh, I do like to interview, you know, certainly from a, a mid-tier and higher level uh, coming into the organization. Uh, from my point of view, I'm looking, to, I, I really kind of want to get into the person's head a little bit uh, to see how they think. Um, you know, I, I find interviews can be very structured. You know, people are always extremely well prepared with their, with their you know, past experiences and, and what they can do. Uh, so I, I'm just trying to get them off topic and see how I see how they think. Uh, and there, there's a couple of things, if I, if I could give anybody advice, there's two things I'm always amazed at, is the amount of candidates who will come for an interview and have done almost no research on the company. I, it's, it's quite incredible. And, you know, interviews should be a, a two-way conversation. And, I, you know, I find some candidates come in. <laughs> I'll tell you a story. Once I, I once interviewed a guy, my opening question was, yeah, you know, a kind of softball thing, like, hey, you know, tell me a little bit about what, what your background is. And I always remember that after seven minutes of him talking, I got up and actually wandered across, made a coffee and came back, and he was still talking. And you know he he was looking for a fairly senior role in, in sales and marketing and you know to me you have to be able to listen as well as talk so mm -hmm. uh, if there's two things i would say is come prepared to to discuss and you know have some creative ideas in your head that if you're asked a you know your opinion on something rather than just uh, what what your experience has been and uh, you know, for example, what do you think the trends of your industry are going to be in the next 10 years? There's no right or wrong answer to that. I just want to know how the guy thinks. Um, and do a little bit of research, for heaven's sake, on the, on the company you're trying to work for. Right, right, absolutely. And we, we see that on a daily basis as we right. source the candidates and we prepare them for the interviews. It's, uh, I can, you know, I can definitely relate to what you're talking about. Yet, you know, they seem like very rudimentary things to do the research on the company you're going in for. Um, but a lot of times, I guess people overlook that and focus too much on, on that personal experience and, you know, qualifications aspect of that. Um, last but not least, um, I'm curious, what are you currently reading and what is one book that you always recommend to others and why? So you're you're probably expecting me to say some uh, some business publication, and I'll I'll be honest. 
with you. Um, I do most of my, I, I do a lot of reading around business, but I do that mostly through through social media, links, articles uh, yep. online. Um, so when I read, I, I kind of read for pleasure. Um, so, you know, the book I've just started um, is a book called uh, Crow Road it's by a Scottish uh, writer called Ian Banks. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm just started that. I'm going to, I'm going to look forward to it. Um, the reason I picked it, I, I picked it up in a, a store. I, I knew the author. I've read a couple of his, his other pieces, but uh, the, the first sentence of the book, and it, it just grabbed me, was the very first sentence says, it was the day my grandmother exploded. So that for me was something I had to read more of. <laughs> and, you know, along those lines, I think uh, there's, there's another book I've, I've read a couple of times and I always recommend to people. There's one called McCarthy's Bar. It was written by a, an English-based journalist called Pete McCarthy, who had grown up in Ireland. Well, his parents were Irish, but he'd grown up in the UK. So he was kind of this slightly conflicted figure, whether he was English or Irish, and going back to his roots and uh, touring around, uh, touring around the country. And you know, if you really want a, you know, as an immigrant to another country, I, I can. Empathise with that as well, but if you want a book that you just will fall off your chair laughing at, that that is a good one. So if you need a stress reliever during COVID nineteen, or you want to take your mind off uh, technology and business, read McCarthy's Bar and Pete McCarthy. Oh, excellent! I'm definitely going to make a note of that, and for our listeners, we'll make the titles and authors of these books available in the episode notes. I'm definitely going to look into that because. A lot of recommendations that come through these episodes. I definitely like to keep track of those. Yeah. Um, Magnus, I can't thank you enough for your time and sharing a lot of the insights, a lot of valuable information for us. I personally learned a lot, quite a bit through this short conversation. I definitely look forward to staying in touch with you and perhaps we can reconnect on the Ivy Podcast in a couple of years to see how much have changed, how much you guys have evolved. Or And uh, I just like to do that with a lot of executives. Yeah, it was my pleasure and happy to do that. Excellent. Magnus, thank you so much. appreciate your time and we will talk soon. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Great. Thank you for listening to the Ivy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our RSS feed on ivypodcast.com and all major podcasting platforms like Spotify and iTunes. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a rating on iTunes.